Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to Trendlebed Tales. Now we're having today's part two because we had a bunch of interest in last week's episode. Uh, so today is epi- numbered episode 68, Organizing Your Laura Ingalls Wilder Collection, part two. Now, um, the part that I talked about last time was I mostly went through the book. So today, in this path, we're going to be talking about mostly non-book things. And we will get back to that in a moment, just as soon as we do a little housekeeping. And that is to remind you that you can call in either live any or you can call in live either to listen or to ask a question, make a comment at any time that we're live on the air. And the numbers are seven one four two four two five two five three. That's seven one four two four two five two five three. Or toll free one eight seven seven Six three three nine three eight nine. That's toll free one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine. And the chat room is open, so if you'd rather ask questions or make comments that way, you can. And I'm always sure to respond to things going on in the chat room. And as I mentioned last week. One of the things uh, that I have been doing lately is listening to Disney podcasts when I get a chance because uh, we're getting ready to go on a Disney trip this year. Yay! And uh, so whenever I get into a new batch of of podcasts, I pick up different ways that people do things. And so I am going to remind you to reach out beyond being part of the podcast and uh, find out more and contact me um, at Twitter at Trendlebed Tale. On WordPress, that's my blog at Trendlebed Tales. On YouTube, uh, you just, yeah, Trendlebed Tales. LinkedIn under Sarah Utah, Google Plus under uh, Sarah Utah, Facebook under Trundlebed Tales and Vimeo under uh, Trundlebed Tales. And I have started a Flickr account and an Instagram, but I'm not doing very well with either of those things. So uh, not a lot to see there yet, but we're working on it. So be sure to find out about all the different parts of Trundlebed Tales. And I think that's about it for the housekeeping uh, the Loringles Wilder season is just getting started in full force, and um, I think that uh, we'll be having some more interesting 
podcasts and posts and things coming up. And the next episode should be me going through when all the Laura Museums are open. Hint, a lot of them started today, but I'm still looking for one or two confirmed dates. And I haven't posted that blog yet until I get those. So uh, in the meantime, just uh, hang on and watch for that to come. And with that, I think that's about all of our housekeeping. So let's go ahead and get into our organization. Now, I really hope that people who listen to this will go back and listen to part one. Oh, and that's something else that I got. The blog posts I do where I put the notes and kind of hit the high points and put links to where to find things, that apparently is known to the Disney people as the show notes post. So I have to make sure that I get better at putting out a show notes post in um, in more a timely manner. So going on from that, as we were talking about last week, I mostly was focusing on books. And I really think the main thing, if you're going to have a collection, is, as I mentioned last week, to have a scope note to kind of set boundaries of what you will and what you don't collect. And those differences are really things that um, kind of determine your organization. Now, as I say, when it comes to books, you really can organize everything by Dewey, but that's not I don't really very, think very effective in this case because Dewey is set up to be um, to, to be explaining a broad collection and when you're doing a very narrow collection it it really doesn't work as well so that's why I have these categories and have them broken up into that only uh, books and there are some more to my collection than that. There is a row of file cabinets in there, and not all of them are Laura, but lots of them are. And so these are how I have divided up my Laura Ingalls Wilder files. The files mostly contain things that are printed out. So copies of newspaper articles, copies of legal records, um, copies of... Um, handouts, brochures, pageant programs, um, posters that were already articles that I wrote. Things like that are all in the files. And so I have the Laura files broken up into sections. First, I have Laura Places. Now, a Laura Place file is for every place Laura lived. For instance, I've got a file, Laura Pepin, and I actually divide those into two. So I have Pepin Current and Pepin Historic. And what is in the current is things that I might want to take with me when I am going on a trip to that place. So um, to skip home sites, uh, I might want to, if I was going to Spring Valley, uh, Minnesota, for instance, I would definitely want a map of Spring Valley because how the, the cemetery hooks on to the rest of the town 
is very crazy, and I don't understand why they have it set up like they do, and it really doesn't make any sense to me. So to find the cemetery, I really want to have the map. So I would have the map in there. I might have um, some information about some of the, the places, like I might have the address of the former Wilder Farm and uh, some notes about that. I would probably have a list of questions, things that I wanted to deal with the last time I was there. I would have phone numbers of um, the museum and if I have them of people I know who, who live in town so in case I have to get a hold of somebody I can. Uh, Laura towns are usually small enough we don't need this but you know you might have a list of the restaurants and the hours they're open things like that and it's just all kind of current information I may have also a historic map if I'm going to be trying to find a particular thing that isn't there anymore or something like that uh, so that's sort of the kind of thing that's in my current folder and my historic folder is everything other than that. So it might be old versions of maps they used to hang on. It used, might be um, brochures from past years. It might be articles about different sections of the history of the town. It might be um, publications that there might have been um, an article that was just about well, Spring Valley or Pepin that appeared in something. And those are are cut out, clearly marked, and put in the file. Uh, there is also, besides the specific places, there is also a uh, file for each state. So, for instance, again, to skip home sites to go, there would be one of those files for Dismet. And... One of those files for Keystone, since Carrie lived there. And there would also be a file for just the whole state of South Dakota. So anything that didn't fit in a town that I had pulled out. So I don't have the list in front of me, but I probably have DeSmet, Manchester, Brookings, and Keystone pulled out at least. And I may have a couple other towns, I'm not sure. And then anything else that isn't one of those major towns will be in uh, the other South Dakota file. Philip, that's another one I have a file on. So, South Dakota, Philip, South Dakota. So, that's sort of how I have the places broken down. And they're mostly places Laura lived. They can also be places where relatives lived, where Laura visited, that had some connection to one of the home sites. Things like that. Another set of the files, then, is books by Laura. And each one of the books, the Little House books, Little House in the Big Woods, Little House in the Prairie, Farmer Boy, each one of the collections of books um, that came out after Laura really quit producing them, so that would be the first few years, On the Way Home, Lest From Home, and books that are collections of Laura articles. So... Um, Little House in the Ozarks, for example, would go in there. And the By Laura file 
uh, the books are in book order, series order, because that's how I look for them first, and then the rest of them are in alphabetical order after that. Then I have uh, files about books about Laura. So, uh, for example, in Pioneer Girl, there's been all these articles lately about Pioneer Girl and it coming out. And as long as it just wasn't a repetition or near repetition of the same old stuff coming out over and over again, I saved those, put them in the file folder. No, actually, that would have been in books by Laura. So, so books about Laura. So if there was, um, oh, let's say I remembered Laura or Becoming Laura Ingalls Wilder or um, Laura Ingalls Wilder by William Anderson or any of those, and also of the things that are uh, literature reviews, so um, like Little House on the Prairie by Janet Spaeth, um, the um, Constructing the Little House by Anne Romney, any of those would be in that section about Laura, books about Laura. Then we have Laura people. So Laura people are people that I know about and have interest in um, because of the connection to Laura, people who have written me letters. Um, I've got uh, articles that I read about or that I cut out about other people collecting Laura or talking about Laura or working on a book about Laura. Uh, they all go in there. If it's mostly about them and not about a book or a project or anything like that, if it's mostly about them and what they're doing, it goes under Laura People, which I keep uh, in order alphabetically, last name, comma, first name. Then I have uh, Laura General, and everything that has to do with Laura that was not specifically a book, a person, or a place would go in there. So like I've got a folder about Morgan Horses. I've got a folder about Montgomery Ward. I've got a folder about um, about beadwork because of Mary's work with it. So anything that is not a not one of those other categories goes in general. And then I have a second set for Rose that, um, well, the places Rose lived just go under Laura places, but I also have books by Rose and books about Rose that are set up in a similar way. And so they're pulled out of the the general run. Uh, next up, I'm going to talk about things that hang on the wall. Now, uh, there's all sorts of things that you can have on a wall. I have a certificate that's the my lifetime membership in um, Mansfield that I got back when I joined up for that. I've got a piece of wood from Grace's house in a shadow box. I have original artwork. I have photographs. So there's all sorts of different things. Be aware that to some extent, Things that you put on the wall are going to be exposed to dangerous things. 
dangerous to them. So if you put them on an exterior wall, there's going to be the danger of humidity. Most walls, there's going to be some danger. And there are other things, like I have one picture that I just love that was taken when I worked at Usher's Ferry, and it, we just stuck it in a normal cheap frame, which was a bad mistake because it uh, has since become stuck to the glass. And there's no way to get it out without completely destroying the picture. So there's all sorts of dangers of things that can come with uh, being framed. Oh, and if you don't frame it properly, there also can be acid involved and it can leach through and get on whatever it is you're trying to preserve by framing. So realize that some things it might be better not to put on the wall, even though you have them, to maybe not even frame them, but to put them in some safe, dark, not easily accessible, dry place. If you are going to hang something on the wall, I strongly encourage you to have it professionally matted and framed. The matting puts a little space in there usually so it isn't right up against the glass. And having that little space there is very important, not just for the sticking to the glass problem, but for various other reasons. It's good not to have what you're, what you're trying to protect right up against the glass. Uh, I also would recommend that when you get it framed, to make sure you tell them that you want it to be archival grade. So that would be, uh, it's a little bit more expensive, but that will mean that there aren't acids that are going to be very caustic eating through immediately. You also want to make sure that if there is well, pretty much that everything they do is reversible. If there is something that they they offer to do for you, uh, always be sure to ask, is it reversible? Because sometimes they'll want to encapsulate stuff, and you really don't want that nine-tenths of the time. Uh, and that's sort of the key to long-term preservation. Make sure that anything they do is reversible. There are different kinds of glass. Now, for the best thing, I recommend museum-quality glass. It not only is very clear, a lot of times, and again, you'll have to ask if what they're selling at the particular place you're framing does. Sometimes they will have a filter on it to protect the items from, uh, UF, U, uh, from ultraviolet uh, rays or light, which will keep it from fading. Uh, it's also, if you do have it on the wall, and it is something... That yeah, is kind of rare. You may want to put it on a wall where you can close the windows easily. And if you especially have any fluorescent light, you want to make sure that you have some kind of filter on there because, honestly, it, it just is not good to have that directly on things you're trying to preserve. Oh, and one other option, and... This isn't anything that I have heard recommended anywhere. But if, for example, if you have something, and this isn't a Laura thing, this is a, a personal family thing, we have a certificate 
that came from when my grandmother was baptized. And it's a very lovely certificate. And my mom was, it's kind of ripped along the edge. And my mom was like, oh, I think we should go in and have it uh, paper conserved and repaired. And I said, look, I don't really think it's worth doing that. We'll just take a color photocopy of it. We'll put it in front. Um, you won't be able to see the scratches. It'll still be there. It's protected. And I really think that might be even a good thing to do if you were framing a letter or something, just so that you, uh, the thing taking the beating would be the copy, but the real thing would still be there. So that's an option too. Oh, and I should mention that on the wall, uh, there's also, well, there's various sections. There's the original. There's uh, things that, prints that were sold uh, section. There is uh, pictures of me doing Laura stuff. And there is some pictures of the in interiors of the buildings and where those are, I did not take pictures where I wasn't supposed to. They have really lately, there have been several places that have been selling off old news photos. And a lot of times they would have these photos, they'd be with permission. The newspaper would keep them on file in case they ever needed them again for something else. And they've been taking those picture morgues and selling them off. So I've gotten a number of really nice pictures that way. Um, some more Hoover stuff too. If I ever get, if I ever get the wall space, I'm going to get those framed and put up. But one of the things I got that way, for example, is a picture of the kitchen of the surveyor's house. And so I've got some of those uh, too. And I was just going to mention that you may want to check with newspaper archives and see if there's a copy uh, or of a picture that you may be interested, not just for Laura, but for other topics too. Uh, now. That gets us off the walls and I'm going to run out of time again, but let's just kind of go through my other sections. Um, I have a holder for t-shirts. I have an area where I have currently used for programs. So that's like all the stuff I use in the kitchen with Laura with the tablecloth and the egg scale and the fake food, and the bowls where we mix up stuff, and the pitchers, and the wooden spoons, and the measuring cups, and all that stuff is in a couple of uh, baskets and suitcase. So that's out there for that current program. I have a trunk that I use for packing up full of stuff. So that's where the current program stuff is. Then I have things that I have gathered over the years that might potentially be used for a program but aren't being used right now. For instance, in the kitchen with Laura, I have some Watkins containers that look just like those they made in the 1930s, but they actually came out with them for the anniversary. I think that was in the 1980s when I got them, and it's, they hung around for like 20 years before I came up with the use for them. So I've got sections of things like that that I think uh, really would be hard to get in any other place, and I could see using them in a program at some point. So uh, stuff that's potentially to be used in programs. Uh, I have large artifacts, like I have a piano stool, like the top would spin off of. I've got some school desks. I have a section for historic clothing. Then I have display cases. And 
some of those are just single collections. So like one has my cups and mugs in it. Another has my cat's meow pieces. And there, uh, one just has my collection of stuffed jacks. Then I have several kind of miscellaneous ones. Uh, I have one for the Ashton Drake dolls. Um, miscellaneous dolls and small collectibles, the dolls in Walnut Grove, the dolls from Barbara Brooks, uh, display replicas uh, that are mostly of a technical nature. So like in that one, I have um, a Braille slate, uh, a bullet mold, uh, a couple of egg candlers, a magic lantern, and stuck in some... Uh, pieces of wood too. So there's a piece of the tree that Lauren Manley planted on Rocky Ridge that they cut down and uh, cut into slices and, and uh, sold in the gift store. Uh, a piece of um, of a shingle that we got off I got off of Rocky Ridge, a piece of the Wall of Loftus store. That all kind of thing is in there. Uh, then I've got book-related collectibles, bells from the historic sites, miscellaneous uh, dolls and artifacts. So those are all in display cases. And the things I use for display cases are actually old fish tanks or lizard tanks that people are getting rid of because you can get them cheap and they are pretty much just as nice as the things you could buy as regular uh, display cases. And Sometimes you have to scrub by letting them sit there and go dry a while. So sometimes you really have to work to get the stuff off the glass, but it's well worth it. And if there's any rocks left in them, I scatter them around outside and make a pretty walk uh, way up to the building. So uh, that's a tip I think is worthwhile. Now people often ask me where I get a lot of this stuff. So sometimes, like my bullet mold, like the Barbara Brooks dolls I have. They're not the little house dolls, but they're other dolls that she made. I got off eBay. Things like the wood from the Loftus store, got at the Loftus store. Some of those are just unique things that you can only get in one place. Uh, some I got as gifts. So I got a bladderware um, plate with Little Town on the Prairie of it from Connie Newman. And uh, things like that. Some are antique. Now, I got um, from southern Iowa, I got a piece of 19th, late 19th century beadwork from very close to where Vinton was. It wasn't actually in Vinton, but uh, the person who made it looked very close. And I am. I am probably 85% sure that this was the same kind of beadwork that Mary was doing. So I've got a nice example of that. And um, the bowls that I use in my presentation, those are antique things. Uh, the um, the Laura dishes, uh, you know, I get those from flea markets, antique places. I got a great handout once in the Missouri Extension Service that talks about how to move the spring. All that kind of stuff are from antique uh, dealers. I guess things also from the home site gift shops. So that's where I get the cups, the Charlotte dolls, the dog tags, the bobblehead dolls. A lot of that stuff comes from the various gift shops at the home sites 
or around the home site town. So like some of the things I got, my pin that I wear with my prairie dress is from uh, the Whatnot gift shop and the Dismet pageant ground. So things like that. Then there's a group of specific um, sellers of things that you use for reenacting. Now they call them settlers. Settler was a term that came from the Civil War and it meant someone who sold things to soldiers. Now, uh, it sort of started out selling things to people who were reenacting soldiering, but it's gone much broader than that. So, um, and if you're listening live, which I don't think anybody, uh, at least nobody logged into the chat room, it's not as good as last time. You guys will have to log into the chat next time. But you're going to lose me here in, uh, very shortly, but I'm going to go ahead and finish. It shouldn't be very long now. So settlers sell sort of replicas of the time period. So like I have a great replica school bell. I also have a period one, but the replica one I can ring without worrying about breaking or anything. That's where I got my tin punch lantern. Um, there's just a lot of things that people used to use every day that it's hard to find now that uh, you can get from settlers. And some of my clothes that I use are from settlers too. Not all of them, some. Uh, then some things are repurposed, so things that I just had uh, around the house. I had, for instance, I have a china doorknob in my collection. That was just things that we had uh, around, and I found it. And uh, those blue insulators, Laura talks about watching as the wire goes by uh, from the train and the insulators on top. So I've got some of those, which we just had hanging around the farm. And some things uh, you make by yourself or you make with somebody. So that's where my, uh, well, the trading cards I made, uh, the little wagon that I take around with my display that my grandpa Utah made me, the Laura clothes mostly I uh, made or my grandmother made with me. So there's all sorts of different ways to get stuff. There's all kinds of stuff you can have. And Basically, as long as you really know what you're collecting and you know what it is you want to keep, um, you just sort of divide things into categories. Uh, try and make it so they are protected as much as possible from dirt, from um, too much light, from moisture, and organize things so you can find them again. That really is the most important thing about organization. And one last thing that I really want to get into, if you have something, make sure that you have it clearly labeled what it is. And if it's something really special, you may want to go ahead and pass it on while you are still in good shape physically. I know that's really hard because um, people want to hold on to their stuff. And believe me, I know that. But I hope um, that when I start to get older, when I realize that I'm going to have to start slowing down, that I will go ahead and pass some of this on because the only way you can really make sure things go where you want them is to do them yourself. And it isn't good enough to keep why something is special in your head. You want to keep it in some obvious place. There have been some things 
it's just too hard to keep together. So, like, I have a set of the little house plates that they came out with and collector's plates. And there's a little certificate to one. And I keep them in a file, not with the plates, because it's just too hard. But you should at least put uh, some kind of mark what it is. So I have, for instance, in my cup collection, not my Laura cup collection, my real regular cup collection, I have a glass. It looks like a very simple glass. Uh, a glass collector wouldn't probably normally care anything about it. They'd say it was really American pattern glass and really not worth much. But it comes from my great-great-grandmother Kessler's house. It was one that she used from her set of dishes. And it's marked, and that's what the note says, that it explains that. And things that are family pieces especially, you should tell people what they are and have them marked. But it's even important for other things, for things you collect. For instance, are lots of, well, props from TV shows. And I guess I could use the, the Laura shows as a subject. This is what I was mostly thinking of. But but I did buy um, a while ago some clothespins that had a COA that said they'd been used on the Little House and Prairie television show. Well, COA's uh, certificate of authenticity really depend on who puts them together. So I, I'm, you know, they may have been, they may not. I think they probably were because who I bought them from, but, you know, you're taking a chance, and there's no way to prove it. Wooden clothespins look like wooden clothespins. They're a little bit more valuable than others because of the COA. If I do not have the COA with the clothespins, and I'm, oh, I got hit by a bus or whatever, and someone's going through my things, they will think these are just a bunch of old, nasty-looking clothespins and throw them out because things like that happen all the time. And there are other things in my collections that are from things. And, and if it looks like something normal and everyday, make sure you tell people what it is and why and label it. So if somebody is going through your house that your kids have inherited your stuff, or you've died unexpectedly. I know it sounds morbid, but make sure that if somebody is going through your stuff, they can tell what's important and what's not, whether it's family stuff or Laura stuff or valuable antiques or whatever. And as you get older, do try and make sure the things that is important to you, where they go, where they end up, that you have a plan, the plan is spelled out in your will, and preferably that you do it before you get beyond the point where you can physically do it yourself. Because I can tell you lots of cases where somebody was promised something after their death and it didn't work out. I mean, there's, there's even a, uh, well, there's a kind of bad lawsuit going on out east about a children's literature collection that somebody had. Um, so things happen. If you've already given something by the time you die and it's where you want it to be, that is where your control is. If you 
don't do that, then no matter what anybody's promised, they could throw something out without even realizing what it was, that you'd promised this to some friend or to a historical society or to, you know, anybody. Even if you have it spelled out in your will, they may not know what that means. Or they may have thrown it out before they get to your will. Or all sorts of things could happen. So make sure your stuff gets where you want it to, preferably while you're alive. If not, make sure there's very clear instructions after you're dead. And all that is an important part of a collection, too, and your organization. Make sure you have those parts in place as well. And that, not a very cheery note to end on, but that is today's program. And I'm glad to say we got a few programs done this month, and hopefully in June we will have our regular slate, which includes a kickoff at the beginning of the month, uh, a half hour of me talking about something, an interview with somebody, and then a travel episode. So look for those next month. And thank you for joining me today on Trendlebed Tales. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.